We're in our final, beginning today, our final two chapters in our study of Galatians. Uh, it's definitely been a study that's, that's quite deep, but also quite rich. There's a lot of profound truth here to wrestle with, and uh, we need to wrestle with the truth because it is foundational. Far too many people are confused about the message of the gospel because they've been taught things that are contrary to Scripture, so we want to be sure that we're very clear. As you know, because we've covered for the last several weeks, Paul's entire letter to the Galatians was basically to refute uh, error um, that they had fallen to. He wanted them to know not only how to come to Christ, but also how they would go on uh, to live for Christ. And it's important for us today, just like the Galatians, for us today to know the truth, not just know about the truth, not just occasionally uh, hear the truth, but to totally immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word, to repeat the truth, to uh, review the truth, to rehearse the truth, to saturate our hearts and minds with the truth in God's word. Now, you recall from the very first week that the primary message of Galatians is justification by grace through faith. It is grace alone. It's not grace plus works. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus lived a, a perfect life. He's the only one who could be an acceptable sacrifice and to pay for our sins. God had decreed that the payment for sin is death. You read that in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. But God also, as the just judge, God also provided the payment for that penalty. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in sin, he sent Christ to die for us. And Jesus' death was according to the will of God. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus willingly offered himself for us. His life was not taken from him. Jesus said that he alone had the authority to give his life, to lay it down, or to take it up. Now, the Galatians had heard the message of the gospel. They had heard it from Paul. They had responded to the grace that was offered, but now false teachers have come in and suggested that they had to earn God's grace. And let me just say, in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom of God, earned grace is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as earned grace. Salvation, the gift of grace, cannot be earned and cannot be deserved by anyone. There was nothing the Galatians could do, nothing we can do today to earn our salvation or have right standing with God. We're, we're justified by unmerited grace through our faith in Christ and his atoning work on the cross, period. No works on our part, no, no merit um, that we can achieve. And so the problem with the churches in Galatia, you remember this is more than one church. Galatia was a region, not one church. The problem was they'd come to faith knowing they were saved by grace. They had come to Christ, they'd come to salvation by the conviction and the power of the Spirit, but now they are tempted, they're being tempted to live their life in faith, their life in Christ by their own power and their own works. And these who came in, the Judaizers, were trying to convince the Galatians that in order to receive grace, in order to be in favor with God, they needed to keep the law. And Paul has explained, and through Galatians, you see his explanation clearly that the law is inferior, it can't save. Well, then why do we even have the law? Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7 said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. The law had a purpose. The law was given so there could be no doubt um, what sin was. After the law was given, sin was no longer a matter of human opinion. Men, men didn't decide what was sin, what was not sin. The law made clear what sin was. Sin was, at that point, a divinely established fact. 
And the law, when you look at the law, you can clearly see the nature and holiness of God in our own sinfulness. The law, if you look at the law and realize that only God, only Jesus, the Son of God, could perfectly keep all the law, it reveals how holy God is, and in contrast, how sinful we are. And so what the law does is assures for us that there's no question in our minds and hearts about where we stand before God. The law makes clear that we are rebelling against a completely righteous and and holy God who's going to hold us accountable and judge our sins. So the law was not given as a requirement for salvation. The purpose of the law was to point us to reveal our need for a Savior. And the law served its purpose. Uh, The law made clear that we needed grace, we needed to be justified by faith. And now moving into chapter 5... Paul would say, look, this same law that that could not justify you by faith is also useless in helping you live by faith. You can't count on the law to do that either. And so our our relationship with Christ um, began by faith, Paul would say, and we have to continue in faith. So that's a bit of the backdrop coming in this morning to chapter 5. And I want us to look together in chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 in Galatians 5. Paul writes, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul starts out talking again about the freedom that we have in Christ. Well, what are we, what are we set free from? We're set free from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin. Now, we won't be free from the presence of sin until we're in glory, to we're in eternity, but we've been set free through Christ from the power of sin, from the presence of sin. We're free from the bondage of sin. You know the worst thing about the bondage of sin is the absolute feeling of futility because you cannot keep the law. If you're trying to keep the law, it is a futile effort and you will continually be uh, exasperated about the fact that you can't keep the law. We're set free from that. We're, we're set free to live a holy life in Christ. And in that, Paul said, look, that's what you're called for. That's what you're made for, to live a holy life in Christ. You're you're free to live a right relationship with God and also to live in right relationship with others. Now, regarding our freedom from the law, let me me just pause here for a moment and mention something um, that I mentioned briefly in, in weeks past. 
Some people have the idea when Paul talks about freedom from the law, some people have the idea that the freedom we enjoy as believers means that we don't have to pay any attention to the law. The law has no purpose for us today. When, when you're saved, all your sins are forgiven. Past sin, present sin, future sin, all of it is forgiven. Whatever you've done, whatever you will do is already covered. And some people say, well, if that's the case, then I don't have the burden or, or the responsibility to, to obey or keep the law, right? Well, unfortunately, that's a very popular idea in, in many churches today because we have promoted a, a superficial brand of Christianity. It's the, you need to come to faith in Christ because God has a wonderful plan for your life. And most people would say, given that, well, I want what Christ has to offer, but the reality is they want what Christ has to offer, but they don't want to have to make a change in their life. And many people who say they've come to faith in Christ live like uh, they believe that their sins are forgiven, but they have the mistaken idea that it doesn't matter what they do because it's all covered anyway, right? So why does it matter? You know, there's no place in Scripture that, that teaches we are free to ignore the commands of God. What our freedom does is gives us freedom from dominion of sin, enabling us to willfully and joyfully be obedient to his commands out of our love for him. Not out of duty, not out of responsibility, not out of have to, but a, a, a want to because of our incredible love for him because of what he's done for us. We don't keep the law hoping that God will be pleased with us. God is pleased with us because of Christ. But my, my relationship with Christ should motivate me to, to want to please him, to love him, to honor him, to worship him with my life because of what he's done for me. And so when our obedience is from the heart, it's genuine. It's not just trying to keep some external rules um, that are written in this book. It's a genuine obedience because it comes from a desire to truly live for him. I don't have to keep the law to earn God's favor, but because God has shown me grace, I have no desire to live lawlessly. Why would I want to live lawlessly after all that God has done for me? Why would I want to disobey? Why do I want to rebel and, and shake my fist in the, in the face of God and live life my own way? No, as one who has received the grace of salvation... Coming to Christ is willingly choosing Christ as Lord. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It's not just Jesus, forgive my sin and give me a home in heaven. When we come to faith in Christ, we come to a point of saying, I'm accepting what Christ has done. I'm accepting and receiving his forgiveness of sin. And I'm choosing to make Christ my master, the Lord of my life. Well, I, I'm not enslaved to the law when, I able, when I'm able to choose to obey Christ out of my love for him. And so my desire to keep the commands of God is not some external pressure or fear. The desire to keep the commands of God is an internal desire motivated by love and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You who are parents, think about that in regard to your own children. Do you want your children to only respond and only behave and do the things you want them to do out of fear? Oh, for certain, there are sometimes I wanted my children to know that I was a merciless God of their universe. Absolutely. I wanted them to live in fear. But for the most part, I wanted it to be an internal desire out of love and respect that they wanted to obey their parents. Paul says we're free. We're free not to give in to sin. We're no longer controlled by, by sin and, and by Satan. We're free to do the right thing 
and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, verses 2 through 4. These are are problematic for some, especially in verse 4, where Paul states that if you want to be justified by the law, you are severed from Christ and fallen away from grace. Now, when we come to passages like this, it's important to make sure that we understand the comprehensive picture of Scripture, not just to pick one passage or one verse out and try to draw meaning from that alone. We have to look at the whole picture of Scripture. Paul has made it abundantly clear that trying to earn salvation by keeping the law, by by doing good, by having merit or earning points with God is futile. Why? Because there's there's nothing good in us. There's no one who's worthy. In fact, if you look at verse 3, he says, look, if you're going to keep the law, you have to keep every single law. That's impossible for any of us. That's why it's futile to try to keep the law and be in bondage to the law. Anyone choosing to keep the law in order to be right with God is going to fall short. Anyone choosing to keep the law is refusing grace. You're you're saying, I don't need what God has done because I can take care of this on my own. Anyone choosing the law is rejecting what Christ has done and turning away from their only hope. And that's certainly the message of the gospel that everyone apart from Christ needs to hear. There are many people in our culture today who still think that they can be good enough. They can do enough good. They need to hear the message of Galatians that justification comes by faith alone. It's through grace. We, we can't keep the law. Now, another important principle in interpretation of Scripture is to consider the message of the original audience. Is the audience in Galatia, in these churches in Galatia, is it people who are lost and apart from Christ. Now, I would assume the churches in Galatia were like many other churches and like the church today in that in, in any gathering of the body, there are people in various stages of relationship with Christ. There's some people who are brand new converts, brand new believers. There's some people who are uh, well on the way to maturity. And there are some people in that gathering, in those gatherings, they're even not yet Uh, have not yet placed their faith in Christ, but they're still seeking, they're still exploring the truth. So what about those hearing this letter? Well, if they are some of those who had not yet placed their faith in Christ, they certainly needed to hear the message of works that the false teachers were teaching was not the true gospel. They, They needed to know that. They needed to know that the true gospel was grace through faith. But the primary audience of Paul's letter appears to be believers. If you look through Galatians, nine different times, Paul calls the Galatians brothers. In chapter 4, where we were last week, he refers to them as adopted sons, children of the free woman, children of promise. It appears that the main audience were those who had placed their faith in the redemptive work of Christ. And if that's the case, if that's the audience, is Paul now saying here in verses 2 through 4, is Paul saying to those who have placed their faith in Christ that they can lose their salvation? He says, you're severed from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. So this is where it's important to understand the full comprehensive picture of Scripture. As we seek understanding Scripture, the best way to let Scripture be understood and interpreted is to let Scripture interpret itself. So let's think about that question then. Is it possible? Is he saying to the Galatians, you stand in danger of losing your salvation? Well, a detailed study of Scripture reveals Our salvation is secured by Christ. If it's secured by Christ, it cannot be lost by us. 
Do we have more power than Christ? Absolutely not. So if he has secured our salvation, then we can't lose it. In fact, if we say we can lose our salvation, then we're also saying we have to work to keep our salvation, and that is totally contrary to the message of grace that Paul's already expressed. We can't do it. It's by the grace of God. Now, when you think about salvation, you look through Scripture, you frequently see the word eternal used to refer to salvation. In fact, let's consider for a moment the words of Jesus. I'm going to, to, to John and I want you to hear the words of Jesus in the book of John. John 3, 16, in his encounter with Nicodemus, what did he say? God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father and I are one. My father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. John chapter five, verse 13. John wrote, I write the, excuse me, first John five thirteen. John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, if you can lose your salvation, it's not eternal. But what about the person who professes faith in Christ and you never see change in their life? What about the person who professes faith in Christ and they never seem to grow in, in godliness? What about the person who professes Christ and that person lives in habitual sin? What about the person who one day claims faith in Christ and sometime later they turn away and reject the gospel? Have they fallen away? Have they lost their salvation? No, the problem in all of those cases is that person was never truly converted. Consider the words of John in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. You see, not everybody, even here, not everybody that gathers with the body and that appears to have relation with Christ and appears to have come to the point of saving faith, that's not true of everyone. Some of them are going to depart, and our thought would be, well, they've departed from the faith, they had salvation, but then they lost it. No, they never were part of us. They never had come to saving faith. That's why you see them depart, and that's why you see them live a godless life after claiming Christ is Lord. Scripture is clear. Those who truly come to faith in Christ will persevere. You know why they'll persevere? It's not because they have it in them. It's not because they're able to persevere through their own strength and their own power. Those who have truly surrendered, those who have thrown themselves on, on, on the mercy of Christ will persevere because just as God enabled them to respond to his grace, it was God who enabled them to do that, he's also going to enable them to persevere to the end. That, that grace that they received when they came to faith is a sustaining grace. Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8 told them, God will sustain you to the end. So what is he saying to the Galatian believers, to the, to the brothers, to the children of promise? He's saying, look, you, you came to faith by the grace of God. 
God accepted you. God justified you. God clothed you in the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. If you're now going to try to start earning God's favor by works, you're going to experience a defeated spiritual life. He's not saying they're no longer saved. He's letting them know you can't come by grace through faith and then decide to try to gain more favor, more points with God by works. There's not going to be any joy in your life spiritually if you're doing that. It's going to be drudgery. It's not loving obedience. What is it? It's difficult duty. It's empty and it's dry and there's no spiritual intimacy with Christ and there's no power in your life if as a believer you're trying to keep the law or to do the right things in order to have God's favor. And why would you even want to try to please God with your own self-righteousness when you've been given the righteousness of Christ? Keeping the law doesn't bring you to faith and keeping the law doesn't add anything to your faith either. So what is he saying? What's the meaning of you are severed from Christ, you have fallen away? Well, the Greek word that's translated severed, and and there's not really a better way to translate that word, but it doesn't have the same harsh implications as the word severed does in the English language. In fact, if, if you take those Greek words, a better understanding of severed and fallen away would be that you are estranged. What does it mean when you, when you have an estranged relationship? It doesn't mean that it has ceased to exist. An estranged relationship certainly is, is, is distant and it lacks affection and there's even a, a feeling of alienation or isolation, but there's still relationship. And maybe I'm wrong here. I know this is true for me. I think it's a case for most believers. There are times in, in my relationship with the Father that I think I can be more acceptable to him or have more favor with him by doing certain things. And, and to be real honest, I guess there are some times that I feel like I can get God to bless me or do more for me if I perform well. If I read my Bible more, if I, if I, if I pray more, if I serve more, if I, if I share my faith more. Does God want those things? Absolutely. He does. But he doesn't want me to pursue him and obey him out of obligation or to get something. He wants me to love him. He wants my obedience to be out of love. And it's sad that for many believers, even though we come to faith by grace, we revert to legalism with the Father in our relationship. We, we think if we do certain things or perform certain ways, God's going to show us more favor. Those of you who are married, can you imagine in your relationship with your husband and wife if they knew that you did not serve them out of love, but you served them out of obligation or just for what you could get out of the relationship? For sure on both sides of that equation, there'd be no joy and no true intimacy and and no power to go the distance if there's an absence of love. And it's sad that a lot of believers have turned to legalism and they've learned that in the church. We have to dress this way. We have to keep this certain style of worship. We can only uh, read from and study from this certain version of the Bible. Hey, how many of you are old enough to remember, and I don't know how many years ago it's been since we, since we stopped doing this, but I remember growing up as a child, as a young adult, how many of you remember the offering envelopes that had the eight check boxes on them? You know what I'm talking? Yeah, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Sunday school attendance, worship attendance, prayed and read your Bible, studied your lesson. You remember all that? 
I love that. Because I'm a box checker. I love checking boxes. But you know what would disturb me about not being able to check, let's say that I read my Bible and prayed daily. What, what disturbed me was not that I missed a day or more of time in fellowship in the word and prayer with the Father. What disturbed me was that I couldn't check the box. That was more important to me than the relationship aspect. Well, let, let's go back to marriage. Imagine a box checking marriage. Spent time listening to my wife today. Well, it was only five minutes, but check, right? Told my husband I loved him today. Probably didn't really mean it. I was angry about something, but check. Listen, you once did those things with your spouse because you wanted to, because you were compelled by love. But then you fall into kind of a, a sense of obligation, checking off the box. Well, what do you do if you find your marriage is at that state? You have to rekindle the fire. You have to remember how you once acted. It, it's the word that, that, the, that the angel gave to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 when he told them, I have this against you, you've lost your first love. And he said, remember and repent. Turn around. Do again the things that you used to do. One of the problems with, with keeping the law, instead of responding to God out of love, one of the problems with keeping the law to earn his favor is we design our own rubric. We decide what, what's good enough. And let's say we decide what's good enough, what the standard has to be to earn the favor of God. If we realize we're not hitting the mark, there's a real simple solution. We start looking around at other people, right? I'm doing better than he is. I'm more committed to the Lord than she is. Verse 6, Paul says it's not about keeping the law. It's about, look at the phrase here, faith expressing itself through love. Now, now again, faith does not exempt us from obedience, from, from serving the Lord, but he says faith expresses itself. Remember, James said, faith without works is dead. Our, our faith should be evident by how we live and what we do. But when we're living in the realm of grace, it's not just about external action. Faith expresses itself through love. We live to honor God out of love, not out of obligation, not trying to earn points not trying to get in a better stance than somebody else is. We love, we serve God out of love. We love God and we love others and we live and serve out of that love. Look down at verse 13. We're reminded here again, freedom does not mean you can do as you wish. It's not about fulfilling selfish fleshly desires. It's not about loving and serving yourself. You've been freed from sin and from sinful desires. So you have the capacity to love and serve others selflessly. Paul sums up the law with one Old Testament command. It's there in verse 14. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's Paul doing? He's repeating an Old Testament command that, that summarizes the horizontal portion of the Ten Commandments. The vertical portion is the first four. It talks about our, the first four ten of the Ten Commandments talk about our relationship with God. The last six talk about our relationships with others. And Paul sums it up. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. It's the same thing Jesus said in Mark 12. You remember when the teacher of the law, the religious leader, came to Jesus and he asked him which commandment was the greatest? 
Now remember, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were all about keeping the law. Their relationship with God, how they determined to please God, how they determined to be right with God was all about keeping the law. It was a very cold, calculated position. It was devoid of love. It was just checking boxes. And what did Jesus say when that teacher came to him in Mark 12 when he asked him what was the greatest command? He said basically two things, love God, love others. That, that summarized the law. That's the evidence of, of true faith. Our focus is on loving God and then demonstrating his love to others. When we love God and we love others, everything else falls into place. We will, we will do what's right in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. We'll, we'll walk in grace. We will please the Father. And we're free to do that. Paul is saying here in chapter 5 to the Galatians, your only hope in salvation was the grace of God. And because you placed your faith in, in, in Jesus and the work he had done for you, the Father accepted you fully. Listen, you don't need to now go back to the law thinking that's going to help you earn favor with God. You're not going to earn more favor. What you want to do is not focus on the law, but to obey him out of love. To, to, to live in love, to walk in love, not legalism. And for the believer who, who struggles, who feels like their relationship with God is not where it needs to be, it's not about keeping the law, it's not about doing more, it's not about checking more boxes. It's about returning to the love that Christ has given for you. It's about thinking about the love that Christ has given for you and responding out of that, not out of duty or obligation, but responding to that love and serving and living in love, not in legalism. Would you bow with me this morning here in, in the venue as well? If you would bow with me for just a moment. You know, the, the question this morning, when you think about application, is pretty simple. It's simply, do you love God? Are you walking in love? Are you responding in love, or is it more a sense of duty and an obligation? Yes, we obey the law but our motivation is love. Do you love God? I'm not asking do you serve him. I'm not asking do you obey him. I'm asking do you love him. You, you can serve and you can obey without love. You, you can fulfill your duty without love. But it's certainly not very rewarding. Not very fulfilling. Love for God should drive how we live. Love for God should drive our service and, and motivate our obedience. This morning, if you struggle in your walk as a Christ follower, if it's more of a drudgery than a delight, you need to go back. Focus on what the Lord's done for you, the price he paid, the, the love he displayed. Spend some time at the cross. Remember his great love for you even while you were yet in sin.
the message this morning to the Galatians, the message to us today is that we have been saved by grace. And just as we were saved by grace, we also need to live by grace. You, you can't make God more pleased. You can't get more favor. You can't get, be more acceptable. You have his favor. You have his grace. You have his acceptance. He just wants you to live out your faith by love. In just a moment, we'll have a closing time of worship and that is a time of, of response we've heard the word we need to respond and the response will be different all, all over this room the response will be different for those in the venue based on where we are in our walk with Christ but the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you as a believer will meet you at your point of need you need to ask him, Spirit, what, what are you saying to me today from your word? And how are you calling me to respond?